Is Isaiah 7.14 a messianic prophecy? Find out today on this edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics while taking Christian truth into the arena of ideas, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, and this is your host uh, for our time together today, yours truly, Brian Chilton. Today we want to talk about a, uh, as it's Christmas time, Christmas time is around the corner, uh, we want to talk about a uh, popular passage of scripture that's often used as a messianic prophecy, and we're talking about Isaiah chapter 7, 14. Now I want to uh, take a few moments to read this passage of scripture before we start interacting uh, with a scripture. Uh, it says um, in in well, particularly verse fourteen talks about the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. And one of the big uh, controversies, uh, points of discussion, is um, is asking: Is this a prophecy pertaining to the Messiah, or is this some type of historical issue pertaining to the time of Ahaz only, or is it a combination of both? Uh, let's read the passage of Scripture in context, but before we do, let's go back and look at the earlier section of chapter 7 of Isaiah. Uh, you see that uh, this is taking place during the reign of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Aram's king Rezin, and Isaiah's king Pekah, son of uh, Remaliah, went out against Jerusalem, but they were not able to conquer it. When it became known to the house of David that Aram had occupied uh, Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the hearts of his people trembled like trees of the forest shaking in the wind. And then the Lord, in verse 3, says, Go out with your uh, son Sheir Jasep, and he's saying this to Isaiah, to meet Ahaz at the end of the conduit of the upper pool by the road of the launderer's field. Say to him, Calm down and be quiet. Don't be afraid or cowardly because of these two smoldering sticks, the fierce anger of uh, Rezin and Aram and the son of Remaliah. For Aram, along with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah, has plotted harm against you. And they said, Let us go up against Judah, terrorize it, conquer it for ourselves. Um, the Lord God says, This will not happen. It will not occur. Uh, the chief of Aram is Damascus. The chief city of Damascus is Rezin. Ephraim will be too shattered with the people. Anyhow, moving forward, uh, we, we, we fast forward to verse 10. And in verse 10, the Lord speak, speaks to, uh, again to Ahaz, saying, Ask for a sign from the Lord your God. It can be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Ask for a sign. Uh God is 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 wanting to Ahaz to know that he can trust in God's faithfulness. His he can trust in God's promises. Okay, 
So when he asked him to do this, Ahaz replies, I will not ask, I will not test the Lord. Now this is probably coming from some type of uh, tradition that Ahaz, uh, of Ahaz, uh, where he feels that it's improper to ask something of the Lord uh, for fear that he will be seen testing the Lord. But the Lord himself has asked, has told Ahaz to ask for a sign, and he refuses. So the Lord was actually wanting to bless Ahaz, but because Ahaz um, allowed himself to doubt the words of the Lord, to p- perhaps even put his traditions over the Lord's sovereignty, Yahweh's sovereignty, Ahaz missed out on a blessing because Isaiah was going to grant a... Um, I think the, the Lord was going to grant uh, Ahaz perhaps a, a, an understanding of who the Messiah would be coming forward, a reason why he could trust in God's sovereignty. Even though his kingdom would come to an end, he could still trust the Lord. Even though Judah would be conquered, he could still trust the Lord. And he refused to do that. Okay, And, and I found this very interesting, that he refused to do that. Um, the Assyrians were coming. They were they were going to invade. Uh, the the Lord of Armies would be the only refuge, and then he's he's telling them about don't worry. Even though the the kingdom will be conquered, you can still trust in the Lord. Okay, so this is forward looking. This is forward looking, and so I think that's important to remember that it is forward looking. Um, but th- but there would be. Uh, let's see. You see Assyria coming forth. The hand that was raised against Israel. We see this later on in the book of Isaiah. Uh, the reign of a Davidic king will, will will come. So anyhow, some of this is talking about future events, nonetheless. So Isaiah said, "Listen, house of David." He refocuses his attention away from Ahaz to the house of David. Is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. He will give you. And the word you here is plural. He's not talking to Ahaz any longer. He's talking to the house of David. What is the sign? See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. By the time he learns to reject what is bad and choose what is good, he will be eating curds and honey curds, uh, is like sour milk, and honey. For before the boy knows to reject what is bad and choose what is good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. The Lord will bring on you, your people, and your father's house a time as has never been seen since Ephraim separated from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Okay, so a couple things are going on here. Now, again, people read this and they say, well, Isaiah is probably not talking about the Messiah. He's talking about some type of historical thing taking place in Isaiah's day, around King Ahaz. Okay. Some people will say, well, no, this is a messianic prophecy, exclusively a messianic prophecy, so um, it can only have a messianic influence. And some people say, well, there's a combination of both. And I'm of the persuasion that there is a bit of a combination of both in this. But I'm not... I'm not sold on the idea that the virgin, the sign that he's talking about, is talking about Isaiah's wife. Some people hold that opinion. 
I believe that there are two signs going on. And I think that God was going to, as Ahaz's kingdom was coming to an end, uh, Judah was coming to an end, the house of Israel was coming to an end, so to speak, because of these invasions that were going to happen. It would seem like all hope is lost. And God's main promise, or His main focus, is to tell the people that despite the upcoming judgment, you can still trust in my promises that there is a future for Israel. That there is still a future for my people. Okay? So, that's the kind of the backdrop of what's taking place here, in my opinion. But, but Ahaz says, I will not ask. Okay? So, I believe there are five reasons why we can hold that this passage of Scripture is a messianic prophecy, especially verses 13 and 14 and even 15, 13 through 15. First of all, the passage is messianic because it addressed it is addressed to the house of David concerning the trustworthiness of God. God is was going to give Ahaz the sign, but Ahaz refused. Now, did Isaiah leave the presence of uh, of Ahaz and then go to the house of Israel and tell him this? And then and then I don't know. And then come back with the boy who was there by his side. I don't know. It may be that he's given this in a group of people that he's addressing Ahaz, and then he's addressing that the, the people of God. And uh, since Ahaz refuses to ask to do what the Lord asks of him, it may be that uh, he just focuses his attention to the house of David, talks to them, that God reveals to them what this what the sign is to a limited degree, and not Ahaz. Perhaps I don't know. But we do see that the focus is not to, in this passage of Scripture, in, in verses four, uh, 13 through 15, the focus is not towards Ahaz, it's towards the house of David. And I think that's a clue, because he is ta- telling, even though this kingdom will come to an end, you can still trust, the, trust God. God is trustworthy, He is faithful, and He will give you a sign of His trustworthiness, that he that his covenant will not end. That he will provide a new covenant. That he's go, he has not forgotten Israel. And the ultimate sign, one of the ultimate signs, would be that a virgin would conceive. Second, uh, not only is the passage messianic because it's addressed to the house of David, the passage is messianic. I think because it changes the between the plural and the singular. The language is interesting in the Hebrew because when he's talking to Ahaz. He says, I will not, because you said, I will not ask, I will not test the Lord. That is in the singular sense. But when he starts talking to the house of David, the you, the word you is plural in that sense. Listen, house of David, it's not enough for you to try the patience of men. He's, that is addressed not to Ahaz, that is addressed to the house of David. The Lord will give himself give you a sign. Who is the you? The you is not Ahaz. The you is the house of David. The house of David would receive a sign of God's faithfulness, of his trustworthiness. And the sign would be that a virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the passage is messianic because it's addressed to the house of David. It's addressed. It's also messianic because the plural focuses on the house of David rather than Ahaz, which is in the singular. But third, the passage is messianic because the term Alma is exclusively used in a sense 
that, uh, well, let me just back up and say, there is a discussion that is has taken place, and this goes back to the days of the RSV. The RSV translate, got in trouble with a lot of conservative Christians because it translated this passage of Scripture. Instead of saying the virgin will conceive, it'll, it said a young woman, a young maiden will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. And people will say, well, Alma is used to describe a young woman. Other people say, well, Alma is used for a virgin, which is it? Well, actually, it's a combination of both. It does mean young woman. But Alma is almost exclusively used to describe a woman, a young woman of maritable age who uh, has um, who is uh, who who has never who is never married, which almost certainly implies a virgin. Um, Michael Rydelnik and Michael Van Lanningham in the Moody Bible Commentary, I, uh, I think that in Isaiah this may be Rydelnik and James Spencer who writes this portion. It says, The virgin, and I quote, The virgin of 714 would be with child. However, the Hebrew is even more emphatic using the feminine singular adjective hara, which means pregnant. This should more accurately be translated, the virgin is pregnant, or the pregnant virgin. Were it not for the context calling for a miraculous sign, such a translation would seem impossible. However, the prophet by a vision saw a specific pregnant virgin before him who would be the sign of hope for the house of David. Indeed, this would meet the miraculous requirement as being deep as Sheol or high as heaven back in verse 11. Um, concerning Alma, they also write, The passages that speak to the sexuality of Alma always indicate that she was not sexually active. For example, in Genesis 24, Rebekah is called an Alma in verse 43, and a Betula, uh, yeah, a Betula general word for virgin, uh, in verse 16, in Exodus 2, 8, Miriam, Moses' sister, is described as an Alma, and she is young and plainly a virgin. Uh, the, the king's harem is uh, described as having, uh, I guess a song of songs, in six, a song of songs 6, 8, the king's harem is described as having 60 queens and 80 concubines and maidens, alamot, pure, plural of Alma, without number. The queens were those married to the king, the concubines were those whom he has had sexual relations, and the alamot were virgins who would either become concubines or queens. In Proverbs 30, 30, 19, the word Alma is used to describe the pure romantic attraction between a maiden and a young man. Uh, since the following verse 20 contrasts that attraction with, a, with an immoral woman, it would be unlikely that an attraction in 3019 was anything other than a wholesome, than wholesome, and the word Alma would refer to a virgin. Beyond usage in the Hebrew Bible, okay, I'll get to that in a moment. So anyhow, in... Um, this, in, in the context of Hebrew, it almost always refers to a woman, a young woman who is of maritable age, who has not yet been married, which would in Jewish culture imply a woman who was a virgin. Quite frankly, it makes no sense. Some people say, well, this may describe Isaiah's wife. But that makes no sense because she already has a child in Sheer Jacob, who was mentioned back in uh, verse, 
uh, who, who is the son who is with Isaiah, and he is mentioned back in verse 3. Go out with your son, Shear Jasep, to meet Ahaz at the end of the conduit by the upper pool, unless he has more than one wife, which I don't think he does. I think he just married the prophetess. He has one wife. So we're past the time of having multiple wives, as you see in Genesis. Uh, you know, so I, it, it doesn't make sense. It does not make sense. So... Um, Again, I think that implies something messianic. I think that implies something miraculous. So the passage is messianic because it's addressed to the house of David. It's messianic because it changes the, the language between the plural addressing the house of David and the singular addressing Ahaz. The passage is messianic because the term Alma is almost exclusively used to describe a young woman of meritable age, which would imply a virgin. Number four, the passage is messianic because the Septuagint, otherwise known as the LXX, a Greek translation of the uh, Hebrew Bible, translates Alma with the Greek term Parthenos, which definitely is used of a virgin. There's no, there's no question about that in the Greek language. In fact, uh, Van Lanningham uh, goes, and Spencer go on to say, that beyond usage in the Hebrew Bible, in the intertestamental period, the Septuagint, 2nd century B.C., Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, translated Alma as Parthenos in Matthew 1.23, an undisputed Greek word, uh, or translated Alma as Parthenos, uh, an undisputed Greek word for virgin. Based on the use of Alma in the Hebrew Bible, the meaning of the word is precise and specific, referring to a maiden who has just arrived at puberty but has not been sexually active. She was a virtuous maiden in the truest and purest of senses. So there again, uh, the, the, the word Alma does not mean just a young woman. It, means some, it implies a young woman who is a virgin. Okay, so... The passage also, finally, again, to review, the passage I believe is messianic because it's addressed to the house of David. I believe it's messianic because it changes uh, between the singular and plural, uh, plural to the house of David, singular to Ahaz. The passage is messianic because the term Alma is exclusively used to describe a young woman of meritable age, which would imply a virgin. Uh, and, and also due to the fact that Isaiah's wife was had already had a child in Shear Jacob, who was there with Isaiah and Ahaz. The passage is messianic because the Septuagint translates Alma with the Greek term Parthenos. And then lastly, I believe that we as Christians need to see the messianic implications, ramifications of the passage of Scripture because it was understood in the New Testament to be a messianic passage of Scripture, which... That doesn't mean that we necessarily read back into the Old Testament uh, things found in the New, but it does mean that there was an understanding even in the earliest of in the first century that um, that this passage of Scripture in Isaiah seven fourteen had messianic application applications or implications referring to the Messiah in verse uh, in Matthew chapter one. Uh, Matthew writes now all of this. Excuse me, my sinuses are giving me problems. All of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will tra- and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And um, 
And notice it says in verse 24, When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, talking about Mary, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Okay, so there again, I think that... um, you know, a lot of times I believe that we try, we need to be true to the scriptures, and I think a lot of times we emotionally uh, believe that just because we've held something that it must be wrong. But this is one of those occasions that I believe the traditional understanding that we have had of Isaiah seven fourteen is probably right. I think that uh, there are many reasons for believing that uh, that the Alma word is used of a virgin is used to describe a virgin, that this is a miraculous sign that God is giving to the house of Israel, or house of David, not to Ahaz, because Ahaz, he, God asked Ahaz to ask him for a sign, ask Yahweh for a sign, and he refused. So this is directed to the house of David. The kingdom of, Ahaz would get a sign, by the way. Ahaz would get a sign, and his sign would be in Isaiah's son, Shear Jasep, who was there. And basically what he's saying is Shayer Jacob already is of the age to know right from wrong, and he chooses right. But you, Ahaz, you're old, well past the age of knowing right from wrong, but you don't choose to do what's right. And this is why your kingdom is going to come to a close. So yeah, Ahaz did get a sign. And I think it's clear in the passage of Scripture, in my opinion anyhow, that Shayer Jacob, the little boy with Isaiah, Isaiah's son, was his sign that his kingdom was coming to an end because that he was being unfaithful. He didn't even have the faith to ask God for a sign, which when God asked him to ask him for a sign, which is, which is really incredulous to think if God is asking you to do something, that, that, that you use your traditions over God. I mean, that's crazy, but we see it all the time. But I really believe that there are many reasons for holding that Matthew, that Isaiah seven fourteen is a messianic prophecy, and I stand by its usage. Yeah, it did have some historical applications, many historical applications in Ahaz's day. Uh, it had implications and applications in you know at that time. But I think the core focus of verses thirteen through fifteen is messianic in scope. And to have a guy like Michael Rydelnik, who is a, a Jewish, uh, a messianic Christian, a uh, messianic Jewish Christian, for him to say that, at least in my opinion anyhow, that, that holds a lot of weight. Well, anyhow, this has been Brian Children. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast. May you have a wonderful and blessed Christmas. And we'll see you back next time that we step into the arena. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of BellatorChristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of BellatorChristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Crucified.